Our text today comes from Isaiah chapter 9 and verses 6 and 7. Verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Amen. May the Lord bless his word. Uh, the Republicans, they aren't going to bring peace. The Democrats, they aren't going to bring peace. Only Jesus, the Prince of Peace, will bring it about. Amen. Anyone who has ever served in combat will tell you that war is terrible. Terrible. I could have used the H word, but I prefer not to. We should only go to war as a last resort. But if we do go to war, we go to win. Amen. Defeat is not an option. This country has found itself engaged in wars on numerous occasions. We currently are fighting a war against terrorism. Not only is our country engaged in warfare, but many other conflicts are taking place around the world. Jesus spoke of these things in Matthew 24, 6 and 7, when he prophesied what it would be like in the last days. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Underline, circle, highlight, whatever you need to do to remember this phrase. See to it that you are not alarmed. You're different. You're not made up like the rest of the world. You have Jesus on the inside he has redeemed your life. He has changed your life. And he has given you peace. So we are not to be alarmed when we see these things happening. We're to lift up our heads for our redemption is drawing nigh. The time is approaching for Jesus to come again. So we are people of peace. And we carry this peace with us. We take it into our workplaces, our schools, our grocery stores. Wherever we go, we take peace with us. Amen? The Prince of Peace. That video was pretty accurate in describing the condition of the world. But the Prince of Peace, Jesus, 
has come to fill your life with a calmness. He's come to replace the chaos with his calmness and his peace. So let me ask you this question. Is Christianity a religion of war or peace? Think about that for a moment. I submit to you that it is both. We don't commit suicide and take out innocent people, but the believer is definitely engaged in spiritual warfare. We are in a fight to the finish. Lives are being lost daily to the tactics of our adversary, Satan. It is also a religion of peace to the child of God that has passionate relationship with Jesus Christ. There is a peace of God that passes all understanding. It is this peace of God that helps us to stand steady and strong when chaos is breaking out all around us. We have to say with the Apostle Paul when he was writing to Timothy in his second letter in chapter 1, verse 12, For I know, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Listen to this. How committed are you to the things of God. Your commitment level will determine whether you will have peace or chaos. The committed believer, the committed believer has that peace that passes all understanding because he's committed everything to God. He's committed his life He's committed his future, his past, whatever God brings into his life, he's already committed that to God. And no matter what life brings, you can still walk in that perfect peace that passes all understanding. So we have two forces at work in our world. They are diametrically opposed to one another. On the one side, we have Satan and his cohorts, and on the other, we have the army of God. The commander-in-chief of our army is none other than Jesus Christ, the strong Son of God. Every smart military man knows that when you go into battle, you need to have knowledge if you're going to be successful. Today we have access to more knowledge than it ever before in the past. At the click of a mouse, you can Google up just about anything that you want to find out something about. There's knowledge out there and there's plenty of people Googling it up, amen? You can't go anywhere without the cell phone coming out. You can't even have a conversation without people bringing out that cell phone. They got to go here. They got to go there. They got to look up this and look up that. Knowledge. But Hosea 4, 6 says, My people, my people are destroyed 
because of a lack of knowledge. So there's all kinds of knowledge in the world. We can know a lot about a lot of things. But, amen. We will take a brief look this morning at these three things. We need to know our enemy. We need to know our weapons. And we need to know our strategy for winning. So let's take a look at know your enemy. In earlier wars, it was clear who the enemy was. There was a front and on each side was clearly defined by uniforms and equipment that they used. If you've ever watched any World War II movies or anything like that, you'll see two opposing forces fighting against one another, lobbing big shells, tanks firing at one another. Uh, they knew. They knew where the enemy was and they knew what kind of weapons he had and so they were going at it with one another. But then along came Vietnam and it became a little bit more difficult. Primarily, it was a guerrilla warfare. There was no well-defined front and many of the enemy dressed like the rest of the population. Some were farmers by day, soldiers by night. In this war on terror that we are currently engaged in, we have the same problem. We know that not every Muslim is a terrorist. But because of what we know and what we have seen, we are suspicious of any person of Middle Eastern descent. When we see those that have the burqa, burqa, is that what it's called, wrapped around their head, we, we immediately become suspicious. I'll I just being honest with you. When I go in a grocery store and I, I see someone dressed like that, I'm, I'm a little bit suspicious. I'm cautious. I don't know. I just know what I've seen. But what does the Bible say about our enemy? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. That's not your enemy. Let's look and see what the Bible says about our enemy. These scriptures won't be up there, but you know, they're very familiar to you. Genesis 3.1 describes the enemy as being crafty. He deceives the man and the woman. They listen to the voice of Satan rather than the voice of God. Often we have the same problem. We listen to all kinds of voices. We listen to people. We read books and we... We want to know what the book says about this. But you need to hear the voice of God when it speaks to you. You need to be able to recognize the voice of God. The Word of God contains the words of God. That's where we need to invest our time is in His Word. Amen? When asked by God in Job 1-7, Where have you come from? Satan answered, From roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. He's still roaming. He's still here. In Matthew 4, he's called the tempter. Always makes sin look like fun. In John 8, he's called the father of lies and a murderer. He doesn't play fair. In 2 Corinthians 4 and 4, he is called the God of this age that has blinded the minds of unbelievers. We have to pray that God will bring His truth into their minds to take away the blindness. Amen? It's up to the church to pray 
The unbeliever's not going to pray. It's the church that must be involved in prayer and intercession and seek the face of God for the unbeliever that he'll open up their minds, that they'll hear the Word of God and respond to it. Ephesians 6.12 tells us, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. How do you think those are going to be broken up? They're going to be broken up by your prayers. When you intercede and call on God, He's going to break up those strongholds. He's going to tear down those walls. He's going to open people's eyes that they can see the truth. And the truth will set them free. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Be alert. Be alert. I was in Vietnam and they had over there what they call sappers. And when we would go into base camp for the night and set up our perimeter, string out the concertina wire and, and prepare a, a defensive position, Oftentimes, the enemy would send in sappers. They would, be, uh, they would strip down to nothing uh, but their underwear, and they would strip, strap explosives onto their bodies, and then they would crawl through that concertina. And they did this early in the morning when the, the guards would be less alert, and then they would wreak havoc upon the base camp. Don't go to sleep. Be alert. The enemy is walking about. He's seeking whom he may devour. If you go to sleep and you let down your guard, he'll pounce. That's what he does. That's what he's all about. Now that's not an exhaustive list, but I think you get the picture. Jesus gives us a clear picture as we sum up this point on knowing your enemy. In John 10, 10, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's his job. That's what he, when he exalted himself, when he said, I want to be like God, then that began his downfall. We are not like God. God is so far and so much higher than we are. He is a holy God. He is a righteous God. He is creating God. He made everything and created everything for his pleasure. We can't be like him. We have to give everything to him and allow him to be the Lord of our life. But when Satan rose up and said, I'll be like God, then God had to deal with him. So he cast him out along with one-third of the angels. And they're now, they're here. They're in the heavenly realms. They're on the earth. So now they are out to steal, kill, and destroy. But can I tell you, the Prince of Peace, <laughs> Jesus, is living on the inside. Jesus' peace fills us to overflowing. And we can take our stand against the enemy. Amen? Not only must you know your enemy, but you must know your weapons. I used to be pretty good with an M16 and a 45 caliber pistol 
and the weapons that are mounted on the M60A1 tank. But that expertise came with many hours of training. I didn't start out as an expert. We had to be able to use our weapons in all kinds of weathering at any time of the day or night. A thorough knowledge of your weapons can be the difference between life and death. It's the difference between life and death. Some of those guys could do it blindfolded. We put blindfold on their eyes and they would be able to disassemble their weapon blindfolded. So the Bible is clear on who our enemy is. It's also clear on what weapons will be effective against him. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. How do we do that? How do we take down the strongholds? How, we, how do we demolish arguments and everything that sets itself up against God? We use our weapons. Primarily, we have the Word of God. When Jesus was tempted by Satan, who believes Jesus is our example? If it worked for him, it'll probably work for us, won't it? So I, I would urge you to do the same thing that Jesus did. When Jesus was tempted by Satan, Jesus quoted scripture to remind the devil that life is found in the word of God. Truth is found in the word of God. Since the devil is a liar and no truth is found in him, the word of God is our most effective weapon to guard against deception and temptation. The believer that is daily in the word is equipping themselves for the battle that is sure to come. So you got to put on the whole armor of God. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, pastors preached this message before, contains a list of weapons that if we put them on every day will help us come out victorious in battle. Some of these weapons are offensive in nature, some are defensive. Let's look at just briefly at them. The belt of truth. You got to speak it, live it, declare it. Jesus is the truth. You got to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Our righteousness is as filthy rags, but Jesus is our righteousness. Amen? Amen. We must have our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. The shield of faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Jesus is the word. The helmet of salvation. Jesus died for our sins. Our salvation comes from Christ alone. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. So, that shield of faith. If we take up a shield of faith 
And if we're going to be able to quench every fiery dart of the enemy, we've got to get in the Word of God because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Not a devil in hell that can stand against the Word of God. You will defeat the enemy every time if you're able to throw the word at him when he comes against you with some temptation, some trial. You have to remind him of what his future is. He has no future. And then you tell him what your future is. Tell him who you are in Christ. I am a son or daughter of the Most High God, and I stand on his word. He has declared that I am his, and I'm standing, and when I've done all I can do, I'm still going to stand. That's what you do. You make up your mind that being a believer is the most most important thing in your life, and you're going to live it out. You're going to speak it out. You're going to declare it. You're going to proclaim it. And no matter what he throws against you, you get stronger in your faith and you become more determined that you're going to hold out to the end. Amen. Prayer. Prayer. Establish a time to seek God. Put more prayer in your daily routine. Pray the word of God, which is the will of God. Some people want to know, what's the will of God for my life? Well, the word of God is the will of God for your life. Live the word, preach the word, exhort people that Jesus is the prince of peace. Proclaim it. it Christians have been silent way too long. There are no closet Christians. If you're a closet Christian, you're not a Christian at all. You have to be a radical Christian. You have to be sold out to the things of God. And you have to shout it from the housetop that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Know your enemy. Know your weapons. And finally, Know your strategy. Know your strategy. We can have all the knowledge about our enemy that we need, and we can have superior weaponry, but if we don't have a strategy in place for winning the war, we will end up disappointed, discouraged, and defeated. As you know, I served in the Army for 20 years. If there was an objective to be taken... Not a round was fired until the smart people got together and put together a strategy that would give us the best chance of achieving victory. I don't like to be defeated. I, didn't, I don't like the embarrassment that our nation went through when it was defeated in Vietnam and we had to leave there ashamed of what we had accomplished. We didn't accomplish anything except the loss of thousands and thousands of lives and thousands more maimed walking around in a daze because they, of, of all the things that they went through. And it was a waste because it was for nothing. If we go to battle, we go to battle to win. If we go to war, we go to war to win. So you give the soldier, everything he needs to win the war. 
And God has already given us a plan. <laughs> he has a plan that will guarantee success. God's plan is called the cross. <laughs> it's the cross. The Jewish people missed it because they were looking for someone to lead them in a conquest against the Roman rulers. There will always be a great struggle and conflict in our lives until, listen, there will always be struggle and conflict in your life until you surrender. That sounds funny, doesn't it? We're going to war and we're going to surrender. It's the only way to achieve victory in this battle that we're waging is when we surrender. The Word of God proclaims this truth in James. What causes, that's in James 4, verses 1 through 5, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the spirit he calls to live in us envies intensely? Submit yourselves. Surrender. That sounds odd when we talk about war and putting together a battle plan that brings about victory. Jesus came preaching a gospel that is totally different than what people were used to. Jesus said that he came to bring peace, and he also said that he came to bring conflict. Listen to these words from Matthew 10, 32 through 38. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It sounds a little strange when you first hear it. Let me make it simple. Following Jesus Christ will cost you everything. Everything. Did you hear what I said? Everything. Surrender. Surrender to the Prince of Peace. If no one else in your family follows him, he's asking you to. If all your friends refuse to follow him, he's asking you to.
Becoming a follower of Christ is an individual decision. You don't get to heaven on your mama's skirt or your daddy's coattail. It's an individual decision that each and every one of us must make. We have to make up our own minds that we're going to follow Jesus. I don't care what anyone else is doing. I don't care which way they're going. I'm devoting my life. I'm devoting my life to Christ. Christ is going to be everything. And everything else must take second place. But Jesus must be first. Here's the kicker. Here's the bonus. Following Christ is the only way to achieve real peace. That struggle between sin and righteousness that always haunts you will be broken when you surrender everything to Him. Listen to His promise from John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. One more scripture. Let's put our original scripture back up there, John. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Stop looking at others. Stop looking at your problems. Keep your eyes fixed on the Prince of Peace.